question just to start this message. Maybe you can just turn to your neighbor for one minute and share your latest test of courage. What was the most craziest test of courage in your life? Maybe you had to propose to some beautiful lady. Maybe you had to fire an employee. Whatever you had to do that really took you all of your courage, share it with your neighbor. You have one minute. Let's go. And you can do that online. Put it in the chat. Come on. All right, guys, let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for speaking to us right now. When we open our hearts and we open our ears and we invite you, Holy Spirit, to transform our lives. We love you and we are here for you as you are here for us. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to tell you about a story that took my courage this May, I have the privilege to fly over to Chicago. Is anyone from Chicago here? No? Who has, has anyone been to Chicago? All right, good. I was so excited. I was able to speak at a conference, and I took some friends with me, and I told them, well, if we go to Chicago, we have to go downtown, because I used to live there for a few months, and we have to get back on the Sears Tower. The Sears Tower is the tallest office building. And as I got there, I was a little discouraged. Why? Because I found out that it does not, it's not called Sears Tower anymore. It's called Willie's Tower because the company Sears uh, went bankrupt. So it was called Willie's Tower, which was kind of cool because one of my friends who joined me, his name was Willie. And I was impressed that, wow, dude, you have your own tower downtown Chicago. So... Um, so we went up, and as we got there on the top level, it's about 440 meters, uh, and we got up there, and we realized that this former Sears Tower became, got a little upgrade the last few years, and it was a glass platform on which you could stand on and just look down 440 meters, and I love that kind of stuff. I don't know if you like that. So I was really excited. I saw things like that on Instagram and TikTok. So I said, we got to get up there and pay whatever we have to pay because I want to stand on this glass. So we went up there. We had to wait quite a while in line until I finally stood there. And here comes the point. I mean, to put one feet on the glass like this, that's easy, right? As long as you have your weight and your security on the other one. <laughs> but that moment where you start putting your weight on this feet and finally take the other one away, that was the moment where I felt like I'm going to die right away. But the next thing is even more crazy because the next thing is you stand on this glass and all of a sudden all of your fear is gone. Instead, you are and you feel like this is crazy. This is awesome. So I told my friends, come over. We have to get on this glass as well. This is awesome, you know. 
And then a few minutes later, I realized, and that's really tragic about life, that only a few minutes later, we were standing on this glass talking to each other. Yeah, you know, what are you doing? What did you see on Netflix last night? And so all of a sudden we realized this thing that took us all the courage and was like a step of faith became our new comfort zone just within a few minutes. And I think when we talk about miracles and about faith, sometimes it's exactly the same thing, right? God is challenging you to do a step of faith and it takes you all the courage and faith you have. And you do it, and that moment you do it, you experience the excitement and the joy of God. And then just a little later, we get used to this. And it can become our comfort zone, and it's important that we keep walking in faith. Amen? My faith first point is this. It seems crazy until it's done. It seems crazy until it is done. Have you ever thought of the two uh, brothers, the two Wright brothers, those two guys who had this crazy idea to build the first airplane? I mean, how crazy must it be to live in that little village of those two guys and to watch them every day coming out of the garage with some kind of thing and they say, today we are going to fly. And then you see how they run down the hill maybe, I don't know. And just a few minutes later, you see the same guys, you know, carried on some, um, back to hospital, right? So I assume many people around those two guys, they said, these two brothers, they are a little crazy. Another example, just a few years ago, I don't know if you heard of this Red Bull uh, sport guy, Felix Baumgartner, who said, I want to go up with a balloon into space and then I will step out of this balloon and jump back onto Earth. And everyone said, oh, maybe this Red Bull kind of thing was not so healthy. And his brain started going crazy. But just a few months later, we were all watching our screens, seeing Felix going back down to earth. Many years ago, a man called Jeff Bezos, founder of Amazon, said, I believe you can sell books online. Well, today this sounds normal to us, right? But at that time, where Amazon founder Jeff Bezos said that, everyone said, you must be crazy. This is not going to work. People will not buy books online. People want to hold it. They want to look at it. They want to smell it. This is not going to work. So many, 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 many times um, we see the same principle. God is calling people to do great things. And many years later, we look at them and we say, wow, they are crazy. They are pioneers. But at that time where they do this crazy stuff, Everyone thinks they are crazy. And now if you look into the Bible, we say the same story. We see the same story. Let's talk about Abraham. Have you ever thought how Sarah felt when Abraham came back into the tent after God talked talk to him? Just imagine you are Sarah and your husband comes in the tent and he wakes you up and says, Honey, listen. I just met God and I heard a voice and he told me that we will have more descendants than those stars at night. And Sarah probably said, uh-oh, now I can see that you become more than 100 years old. Your brain seems going crazy a little bit, Abraham. Have you forgot that we are 100 years old 
and we don't get any babies. So Abraham probably was called a little crazy. Another person in the Bible is Moses. Have you ever thought how Jethro, the father-in-law, felt when Moses came back from the mountains and came and gave back all the sheep? He was a shepherd for 40 years, and he said, well, Jethro, I'm sorry, here are all the sheep, because today I had this crazy thing. I heard a voice speaking to me, and that voice told me that I'm supposed to go to the Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. So I quit my job today, Moses, uh, Jethro. Here are the sheep. I will become the future leader of the Israelites. Probably Jethro said, well, Moses, that bush, what kind of bush was that? What, what kind of smoke did you inhale? You must be crazy. Have you ever thought what people were thinking about Noah? Noah was asked from God to build an ark, to build a ship. Well, there were two basic problems. At that time, Noah did not know what a ship is. He did not know what an ark is. So basically, he had to build something that he had never seen before. And even worse, Noah did not know what rain was. Until that time, there was no rain. So he couldn't even explain to his neighbors what he was doing. But for months and years, he was building the ark together with his sons. And the Bible tells us people walked by and said, this guy is crazy. Crazy. Here's my second point. What's called crazy today will be called faith tomorrow. What's called crazy today will be called faith tomorrow. Last year... I was going to church on a regular Sunday, and the night before, I had a dream. I had a dream of a young man. It was a very short dream, just a few seconds, but I saw a young man telling me, I do not want to live anymore. So I had this dream. I went to church, and I felt like God calls us to share that word of prophecy on stage. And the few minutes I started arguing with God and said, I'm not sure if that dream is from you. I'm not sure, you know, all this, you, you know that sometimes you start arguing with God and you use your logic. And I was arguing with God and said, I'm not sure if this is from you, but the spirit just kept telling me, share it on stage. So at the end of the message, we shared this little dream that I had on stage. After the service, a woman came to me and she said, I believe this word was for my son. So I met her son after the service. He was about 20, 21 years old. And um, just by looking at him, I could tell that this guy was really going through a tough time. So he was not able to speak because he was so depressed and so full of pain. So my mother told me, this is my son, and he's going to a heart depression, and he has physical pain for years without any explanation. So we went to all the doctors. Nobody can explain what his problem is, but the pain gets worse and worse. And my son told God last night that he does not want to live any longer. So I took all the courage that I have and all this little faith that I could find in myself, 
And I said, well, can I pray for healing? And it's tough, you know, if you see a person that is full of pain, sometimes it takes courage, right? And sometimes it almost feels wrong and unsensitive to pray for that person, but I felt like I should. And so we prayed, and I said bye-bye, and I never saw this guy again until two weeks ago, that woman came back to our church, and he came to me and said, do you remember how you prayed for my son? And then she told me, we went home, but from that day on, the depression, within a few months, went away. But not only the depression, this guy is following Jesus with everything he has, and the pain is gone. So, sometimes, sometimes, the Spirit prompts us in our daily lives to do things, maybe pray for your neighbor, maybe talk to someone, maybe share the gospel. And the minute you get this inner prompting from the Spirit, it feels a little crazy. And you start arguing and you have all your logic and you say, I'm not sure if that is a good idea. Maybe that person gets mad at me, but I want to encourage you to take these promptings of the Spirit serious because what's called crazy today will be maybe called a miracle tomorrow. I want to look at a definition of faith that we can find in the Bible, and it's in the book of Hebrew. So you can turn at Hebrew 11, verse 1. It says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Okay, this is so profound. Let's read it a second time, all right? Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. And now Hebrew continues like this. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command. That what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. Okay, let's read that again. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. Wow, this is so deep. It says, when God speaks, it comes to existence. If God says, let there be light, light comes in existence. This is how God created the whole world, by speaking, by telling, by saying. And when God speaks, it's not just a wish, it's not just an opinion, it is authority. And by faith, God's word, God's promises become reality in our lives. What does that mean? You can take any other word of God in the Bible, any promise that God gave to you, and by faith, it becomes reality. It becomes reality in your own life. Maybe you can compare it a little bit like wind. I don't know if we have any sailing people in this congregation. Maybe you are a sailor on the lake of Zurich. Maybe you are a sailor in Hamburg on the Alster, which is our little lake that we have in this beautiful city. And wind you cannot see, right? But we all know a good sailor, he takes his boat and he takes the sail 
and he puts it up and he knows I cannot see the wind, but the moment I open up, the wind will blow into it and it will become reality. It will become visible. Now, Hebrew continues by telling us and sharing different heroes of faith. And a few heroes we have already mentioned, like Moses and Abraham and Noah. And now Hebrew verse 4, he talks about Abel and Cain. So let's read verse 4. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man and God showed his approval of his gift. Although Abel is, no, is long dead, he still speaks to us by example of faith. Now, I don't know if you know the story of Abel and Cain. Those were the two first sons in the history of mankind. So there was Adam and Eve, and the first two babies they, they got was Abel and Cain. And they both started working, and Abel, he was a breeder, and Cain was a farmer, all right? So after one year, they both felt like, well, I want to say thank you to God. I want to bring an offering. So they both brought an offering to God. But it says that the offering of Abel touched and opened the heart of God, but the offering of Cain kind of closed the heart of God. And as a kid, I always didn't like that story. As a kid, I always said, this is unfair. What did Cain do wrong? Because I didn't understand the difference when it comes to the offering of Abel and Cain. So I want to share it real quick. It says in the Bible, uh, in Moses, I think it's chapter 6, it says, Cain, he took some of his, um, the food, and he, it says he brought a little bit, just a, just a little bit, okay? And so I assume Cain was looking uh, at using his logic, and he said, okay, I, I need some of it for next year. I need some of it to feed my family. I need some of it to, to sell it to others so I get money and maybe do something else with it. So I have a little, little left, and... Here it is, God. Have it. And for some reason, God did not like that attitude. And then Abel, it says, he took some of his very best young sheep. He took the best lamb and gave it to God. And as a breeder, you know you would not do that. That's crazy. You would take the best sheep and use it for breeding, right? To even make better sheep. So normally, and a breeder would never take the best lambs and kill them and give it to some invisible God. But he will keep them and use them for breeding. But Abel took the very best he had and gave it to God. So I think there is a big difference between Abel and Cain. I believe Abel saw that God wants to give him something, but Cain saw that God wants to take something. Abel obviously trusted in God more than in his own logic, but Cain trusted more in his logic and what he saw than trusting in the unseen love of God. But the problem is, to believe in something you cannot see is supposed 
to be crazy. About six years ago, I was on staff in this church for 15 years, and I felt, and I loved this job, and I loved working with my team, and I loved uh, being under the leadership of Susanna and Leo Bigger. But about six years ago, my wife and I, we kind of felt that God is moving us out of this city to the north of Germany, to Hamburg. And it was not our idea, it was not our vision, and it was not even something that we wanted to do. But it was something we felt God wants us to do. So finally, we shared this thought and this inner feeling that we had for a few months with Pastor Leah and Susan. We said, well, it's not our idea, it's not something we want to do, but we feel that God is prompting us to leave this church and to leave this beautiful city and this beautiful country and to move back to Germany. And the craziest thing is, our friends thought, whoa, maybe the Puntleys, they now are a little crazy. I had friends that said, Andy, are you sure that was, this is the voice of God? That doesn't make sense. We love you, we need you here in this church. This is the best job you can ever get. Why in the world are you moving away? And we said, we know it's crazy. We know it doesn't make sense. We know it is painful. We know we don't want to do that. But sometimes the way of God seemed to be crazy at that time where you have to do the step. But now, five years later, Sunday by Sunday, we drive home after two services and we are full of wonder. Why? Because we can see what God is doing because we were able and willing to move. Okay, so sometimes the Spirit moves you and it feels like crazy, but you have to do it because later it makes sense. Now, as you can see, we have a chair, actually two chairs, and I asked Michael to come up here just for a minute. Maybe you can give him a crazy hand. Come on, let's give a hand for Michael. Michael, you see there is a bigger chair and there is a smaller chair. If I ask you to use one of those, which one would you prefer? I prefer the big one. The big one. And why is that? Why would you prefer to sit on the bigger one? Yeah, it looks more stable than the small one. And yeah. And why do you know it is more stable? I don't know it, but yeah, it's bigger experience maybe a bit. More maybe work. it has to do with your experience, right. Now, can I ask you to sit on the small one? Yes. Sit on the small one. Oh, is he still on it? Okay, good. It's working. Michael, why did you follow my wish? Because I trust you. Because you trusted me. Let's give Michael a hand. Come on. And I love this simple illustration, you know, because we are used to live on our daily life by our experience, right? We are used to do the things by our experience, by what we see, what we think is better. And not always, don't get me wrong, not always, but sometimes God tells you to do something that does not make sense and is maybe not the best decision due to your experience. But why can you do it? Because you trust God more than your experience. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. 
Now, I want to sh uh, show you a little story of our church, a woman that I, th I think she was there the very first day or the second Sunday that we opened our church. Her name is Maria, and here is her story. Ich war 14, als meine Mutter starb. Ich war 15, als mein Vater starb, beide an Krebs. Dann hat mich mein Papa, bevor er starb, noch schnell in ein Kloster gebracht für Franziskanerinnen, für höhere Töchtern. So, nach drei Jahren kam ich dann raus und mit 18 wurde ich äh, von drei Spanier meine Unschuld genommen, vergewaltigt. Man hat mich dann im Wald äh, geschmissen, mein Körper, und ein Waldarbeiter hat meinen Körper dann morgens gefunden. Ich bin dann noch nicht gestorben, ich kam ins Krankenhaus. Was ganz schrecklich war für mich, dass meine Oma ins Krankenhaus kam und sagte, du bist selber schuld, ich habe dir gesagt, du sollst nicht da ähm, aus, der, aus der Straßenbahn gehen. Okay, es war alles immer nur, ich war schuld und ich wurde rebellischer und rebellischer. Wenn Leute zu mir gesagt haben, ähm, du musst an Gott ziehen oder Gott ist dein Papa, das habe ich alles nicht mehr geglaubt. Na, und durch das Rebellische wurde ich immer mehr, ich habe mir immer die falschen Männer gesucht. Ich war viermal verheiratet. Also der dritte Mann war dann ein Zuhälter, hat mich dann äh, von Hamburg, ich, hat mich dann nach Amsterdam verschleppt und äh, war ein Jahr eine Prostituierte. In dieser Zeit musste ich auch immer meine Nägel schön machen und kam dann in so ein Nagelstudio, wo so ein Missionar-Ehepaar aus, äh, aus der USA kam. Und die haben also evangelisiert, die Prostituierten, die da sich die Nägel aufgezogen haben. Ich habe dann immer gesagt, ich will von diesem Scheiß nichts wissen. Ich war so rebellisch, wenn die Sprache auf Gott ging. Es wurde mir immer sch schlimmer. Ich habe einmal versucht, mit Tabletten mich umzubringen. Hat nicht geklappt. Er hat mich gefunden. Magen aus Pumpen weiterlaufen. Und das zweite Mal habe ich dann gedacht, okay, jetzt springst du einfach vom, vom Balkon. Ähm, heute weiß ich, dass es Legionen von Engeln waren, die mich am Schluss nicht nach vorne runtergeschmissen haben, sondern auf die Balkonseite. Ich war so vollgepumpt mit Drogen und... Alkohol, dass ich auf die Innenseite gefallen bin. Hatte mir drei Nägel gebrochen, bin eben am nächsten Morgen, musste ich mir die Nägel machen lassen. Ich kam da an und ja, das Ehepaar hat dann nur gesagt, mit Tränen in die Augen, was du brauchst, ist Jesus. Und dann habe ich ganz hart gesagt zu denen, okay, was muss ich dafür bezahlen und was muss ich tun? Weil für mich war alles ich muss für was bezahlen, ich muss für was tun. Und ich hatte mich erinnert, ich hatte, als ich da auf dem Balkon gefallen bin, hatte ich zum ersten Mal wirklich geschrien nach Gott. Wenn das einen Gott gibt, dann nimm mir mein Leben weg. Ich wollte einfach nicht mehr. Naja, die haben dann mich genommen, in den Keller runter, haben über mich gebetet und haben dann beschlossen, mir gleich noch den Heiligen Geist für den Heiligen Geist zu beten. Und haben gesagt, du bist äh, errettet. Ich habe nachgesprochen. In dem Moment 
habe ich so einen Schüttelfrost gekriegt. Ich habe richtig Gänsehaut gekriegt. Und aus der Gänsehaut kamen Schweißperlen. Ich habe also gefroren und geschwitzt in einem. Ich konnte plötzlich lachen und weinen in einem. Und die vier Dinge weiß ich nicht wie lange, aber bestimmt ein paar Minuten. Gut, dann haben sie gesagt noch, wenn du möchtest, kannst du dann am Montag, es war ein Samstag, vergesse ich nie, am Montag kannst du dann kommen und bei uns anfangen zu arbeiten. Sie haben mir eine Option gegeben, ne? Und dann bin ich nach Hause und auf dem Gespräch nach Hause hatte ich ein sehr kurzes Gespräch mit Jesus. Ich sage, okay, die sagen jetzt, du bist bei mir drin. Ja? Und ich sage, mal sehen. Ich gehe jetzt nach Hause und sage zu meinem Zuhälter, ich gehe nicht mehr anschaffen. Und dann wird er wohl mich umbringen. Dann habe ich es auch erreicht, was ich wollte. So, ich bin nach Hause. Ich stehe vor meinem Zuhälter und ich war noch nie so bereit zu sterben. Also schon bereit, mich selber umzubringen, aber dass er mich jetzt umbringt. Und ich sage, ich gehe nicht mehr anschaffen, ich habe Jesus empfangen. So. Und ich war hundertprozentig sicher, jetzt kommt er, holt das Messer und dann habe ich es auch geschafft. Ich kann es nicht sagen, was passiert ist, aber ich weiß heute, es war eine Panzer, ein Panzerglas um mich. Der Mann konnte mich nur angucken. Er konnte nicht mal so machen, hat sich umgedreht und war drei Tage und drei Nächte weg. Und das war für mich, ja, Jesus ist in mir. Und das war für mich der Wandel. Und seitdem ist für mich mein Lieben Jesus. Und Sterben ist ein Gewinn. Wow, thank you, Maria. What a crazy story. What a crazy story, and I just love to see her in church. She was a member online for, for two years until she was finally able to come back and see us physically, so I just love that story. I want to end this message with the story of Bartimaeus. He is a man in the Bible. He lived at that time where Jesus uh, was uh, the rabbi, and he was living in this town, big town, called Jericho. And Bartimaeus, maybe you know the story, he had one big problem all his life. He was blind. And so let's read his story in the Bible, maybe with a little bit of this atmosphere of blindness. Marcus 10, 46. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet. Many of the people yelled at him. But he only shouted louder, son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, tell him to come here. So they called the blind man and said, cheer up. Come on, he's calling you. So Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, he jumped up, and he came to Jesus. And Jesus asked, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, my rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, go, for your faith has healed you. And instantly, the man could see 
and he followed Jesus down the road. So maybe you can bring back the light. You know what is crazy about that story? Bartimaeus could not see Jesus doing the miracles in this city like everyone else. All the other people in the city, they walked with Jesus and they could see with their own eyes how uh, the sick become healed, how blind people could see again. But Bartimaeus was blind, he couldn't see. He couldn't see with his eyes Jesus doing miracles, right? But in his heart, he saw more than anyone else in the city. In his heart, he had faith. And if we look at the text one more minute, we can see two very interesting details. It says when Bartimaeus heard that Jesus from Nazareth was coming to his town, he was curious. Why is this important? Because the Old Testament, all the prophecies said the future Messiah, the Savior of the world, will come from where? From Nazareth. So Bartimaeus was waiting for the Messiah. He was expected to meet God. So when he heard the word Nazareth, he said, oh, maybe this is not just a rabbi. Maybe this is not just some cool guy doing tricks. But maybe this guy is the Messiah. And if you look at what he's calling Jesus, he says, Jesus, what? Son of David. And again, that was a prophecy from the Old Testament that he knew by heart that the future Messiahs will come out of the family of King David. So by the words of Bartimaeus, we can see that Bartimaeus in his inner world saw more in Jesus than all the other people in his town. And here comes a very important detail when it comes to miracles. Many, many times when Jesus was healing people, he did two things. The first thing, he was asking the person, what do you want me to do for you? Just like he asked Bartimaeus. And have you ever thought that this is, maybe it felt a little unsensitive? I mean, if somebody is blind, or you can't walk, why is Jesus asking that person, what do you want me to do you for? This is a little unsensitive, right? I mean, everyone knew what Bartimaeus wants him to do, but obviously, Jesus wants you and I, he wants us to tell him what the miracle is that we need. You know why? Because it takes courage. It means to be a little crazy. You know, this blind man, Bartimaeus said, in all the front of the people, Jesus, I want you to heal me. I want to see. He took all the risk. What if Jesus would reject him? What if Jesus would say, no, not you. Sorry, Bartimaeus. I don't have any more power. Maybe tomorrow. He went a little crazy. And this little crazy faith was the step of healing. And now comes the second important detail. Most of the miracles, Jesus used his word to heal the other person. It didn't touch him. He used his word. And just by using his word, the miracle took place. So God's word is so powerful, it's enough. 
God's word is so powerful. When he speaks and you receive his word by faith, the miracle takes place and the miracle becomes reality. So I want to ask you, what is your miracle? What is your bold prayer that you are asking Jesus tonight? Maybe online, maybe in Liberia. What is the miracle that you need from Jesus? I want to encourage you to take out your smartphone real quick. Just take it out for a minute. You see a QR code and you can scan this QR code. And what you can do the next minute is you can write down your own prayer for miracle. And I encourage you to do that because I believe that if we take steps of faith and we are bold and take the risk, that this opens the heart of God. So let's take a minute. You can scan it, you can write it, fill it in, and you can see there, if you scroll down, there is a picture with all your prayer requests, and you can download it to your smartphone. Maybe you can share it with your spouse. Maybe you can share it with a friend. Maybe you can share it with your small group. But I believe that there is so much power when we pray and share our miracles together. So take a minute and fill it in. When you're ready, you can stand up with me. If you take more time, if you need more time, just take another minute. That's totally fine. I want to end this message with a prayer, or actually many, many small prayers. And we find all those prayers in the book of Psalm. And there's a little detail in the book of Psalm that I really, really like. If we look at all those songs and poems that King and the Shepherd David wrote, we find one word that is used over and over again. And this one word is like a turning point in the prayer of David. This word is the word but, B-U-T. And many prayers and many psalms of David, they start by David calling up to God, pouring out his heart telling God what is painful in his life. Sometimes he even is angry at God. And all of those honest and authentic prayers of David and other 
psalm writers, I love them because they are so real, they are authentic. And David is so honest with God and he brings God his pain and all his feeling and all the mess that he's in. But there is always this one word that comes sooner or later. And this is the word, but. And then comes the turning point of many, many prayers in the book of Psalms. And then all of a sudden, David reminds himself of all the promises that God gave him and all the things and all the miracles that God did in the past with all the people that lived before him. And then David says, but I know God, you are good. But I know that you are still holding your promises. But I know it is worth following you. So I ask you to stand up and I ask you to pray with me. And we start at the beginning of Psalms. But you, O Lord, are a shield around me. But the needy will not be ignored forever. But satisfy the hunger of your treasured ones. But we, we will rise up and we will stand firm. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. But I trust in you, Lord. But you heard my cry for mercy when I called to you for help. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing, but the Lord delivers him from them all. But those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. But God will redeem me from the realm of death. But God as for me, I trust in you. But I will sing of your strength. But God has surely listened. But I pray to you, Lord. And this is only the first uh, third of the poems. You can go on and read other verses. It's over and over again. It's the same principle. It's this moment where David says, but I remember who God is and I remind myself of who I am. So I ask you to stand and let's worship God and let's trust Him like never before. Hey, thanks for watching. Hey, our passion for people is that we see them grow in their relationship with Jesus, live fearlessly and influence their people and the surrounding in a positive way. And if you would like to be part of that vision, we thank you so much for your financial support because that would make it possible. I hope that this message spoke to you really. And if you don't have subscribed to our channel, please do this. And it's always a big blessing. Maybe you know some people in your neighborhood or in your friendship say that podcast could be a very well cool thing just share the link because it's pretty pretty easy and I'm looking forward to see you again tune in and God bless you and see you soon bye bye